Welcome to Growing in Grace with Pastor Victor Morrison. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas. We are praying that God will bless you as you listen to this message. If you would like additional information on worship times and ministries at FBC Columbus, you can find out more at our website, fbccolumbustx.org. And now, take your copy of God's Timeless Word as Pastor Victor gives today's message. My name is Victor Morrison. I'm the pastor at First Baptist Church in Columbus, Texas. I'm so glad that you are listening today. I want to share some thoughts with you from 2 Chronicles 11. I hope this will help you to grow in grace. You know, uh, all of us know that God is good. God is good all the time, but I think that sometimes our perception of Him is not that way. For example, He told Adam and Eve they could eat of any tree in the whole garden, but just of one tree, just one tree. He said, don't eat of that. Was he not being good when he said, don't eat of the one tree? Or did he say, don't eat of the one tree because he was good? You know, there are times when God tells us no, and it doesn't mean that he's trying to be hard on us. It doesn't mean that he's trying to be, you know, mean to us, but he's trying to be loving whenever he says no. And so that's what I hope that you'll catch today in this unusual podcast entitled, What If God Says No? You know, parents from time to time, they have to tell their children no. What if there was, say, I don't know, a three-year-old or four-year-old who wanted to play in the street, a busy street with lots of cars? Uh, Would his father be less loving if he told him, no, it is not safe. It is unacceptable for you to play in the street. I think the Heavenly Father also, He doesn't always rubber stamp every proposal that we bring to Him. As a matter of fact, David received a no answer when he prayed for a, a baby boy that was uh, he was hoping would be born. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 15 to 25, he pleaded with God to spare the child. But God's answer was no, and the child was not spared. Then you can look in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, and see that the Apostle Paul, he had a thorn in the flesh. He prayed, please, Lord, would you remove this three times? He asked God, but God's answer was no. I want to introduce you to a man named Rehoboam. He's found here in 2 Chronicles 11, and at this point, uh, chronologically, He had just become the king. Uh, You might know his dad. His name was Solomon. And so King Solomon's son, uh, Rehoboam, takes over. This is David's uh, grandson. So definitely you would expect him to have uh, good responses. But in this this particular chapter, I really uh, want to give him some uh, kudos here because he definitely does the right thing. And I want us to see how do we respond if God says no to a prayer? How do we respond if God says no to a plan? Maybe it's a plan we hold dearly, but it's just simply not what he wants. Let's listen to 2 Chronicles 11. Uh, I'm going to start at verse 1 and read down through verse 17. When Rehoboam 
came to Jerusalem. He assembled the house of Judah and Benjamin, 180,000 chosen warriors to fight against Israel to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam. But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the man of God, say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all Israel and Judah and Benjamin, thus says the Lord, you shall not go up or fight against your relatives. Return every man to his home, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and returned and did not go against Jeroboam. Rehoboam lived in Jerusalem, and he built cities for defense in Judah. He built Bethlehem, Edom, Tekoa, Bethzur, Soko, Adullam, Gath, Marashah, Ziph, Adoram, Lachish, Azekah, Zorah, Ajalon, and Hebron, fortified cities that are in Judah and in Benjamin. He made the fortresses strong and put commanders in them and stores of food and oil and wine. He put shields and spears in all the cities and made them very strong. So he held Judah and Benjamin. And the priests and the Levites who were in all Israel presented themselves to him from all places where they lived. For the Levites left their common lands and their holdings and came to Judah and Jerusalem because Jeroboam and his sons cast them out from serving as priests of the Lord. And he appointed his own priests for the high places and for the goat idols and for the calves that he had made. And those who had set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel came after them from all the tribes of Israel to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord, the God of their fathers. They strengthened the kingdom of Judah, and for three years they made Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, secure. For they walked for three years in the way of David and Solomon. Isn't that amazing? That a king has a plan, a king has a proposal, a king gathers all of his troops together to go fight, and just because one man, a prophet stands up in his life and says, you're not going in God's direction. God says, don't go fight. He backs down. How many leaders do you know would do that? I was really impressed. So I want us to look at this and I want to kind of make almost like chapters as we go through these verses so that we can get the most from this. The first one would be this. How about the distress and panic over a problem. You see, I don't know if you are familiar with the chapter before this one, but at the end of that chapter, what happens is Rehoboam becomes the king. The people said, during the days of your father Solomon, when he was king, it was just too hard on us. The load was too heavy for us. So all we're asking is, could you just simply lighten the load? So Rehoboam says, May I have three days to think about this? I will check with my advisors and I will get back with you. So he does. He takes three days. Three days later, the group comes back. They say, what have you decided? He had listened to the younger men who said to him, 
I would just crack down even harder than Solomon. The older counselors had advised King Rehoboam, you know what, if you will lighten the load just a little bit, those people will serve you with all their hearts, just like they served your father. But instead, he dismissed that counsel and received the counsel to make it uh, more difficult and heavier. So he spoke to the people harshly that day when they gathered. And so what says what it says here in this scripture just before where I started is that they actually stoned the, the supervisor that he had placed over all the projects. They stoned him to death. And so what it says is that Rehoboam quickly mounted his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. And so you get the idea? He was afraid. He was in distress. He was worried. You know, whenever we're fearful, whenever we're stressed and so forth, we often overreact. It clouds our judgment. And so what happens after he is distressed over a problem? Well, I'll tell you what happens. He made a decision out of power. He made a decision out of, well, we could say presumption. You see, he's the king. And so he can make a decision. So he decides, you know what? Just because I can, I'm in a position of authority. I have enough resources. I have plenty. And here in Judah, anyway, I'm popular. So I believe I'll just make a decision out of power because I can. And so that's what he did. So he decides, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to teach those people a lesson. I'm going to let them know I'm the king. So that's exactly what he decides he's going to do. Well, the problem is that God calls this prophet, he's kind of a little known prophet, Shemaiah, but it says he's a man of God. And he comes into Rehoboam's life, who he's already, you know, gathered together 180,000 troops. Can you imagine how much time it would take, how much effort it would take, how inconvenient it would be to just simply say, ah, okay, we're not going to do it, guys. Y'all can all go back home. It would have been pretty significant. But here's the thing. The Lord was rejecting the proposal. So now what do you do? You're the king. And so the Lord even had to bring this prophet out of nowhere. And I have to say, you know, isn't that amazing that this man of God is willing to declare the, the truth of God? He's willing to give God's counsel on something, even if it goes against the king. I find that fascinating. Would you be able to do that? You know, the Bible tells us what God's will is, what God's counsel is. Do you know that the Bible was written by of uh, 40 men over 1,500 years. And 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 tells us that really no man put down just his own opinions in the Bible. The Bible is the inspired word of God. The Holy Spirit had these words written. And so it's the revealed word of God to us. And so whenever a father, whenever a grandmother whenever a Sunday school teacher, whenever just a, a witness that says, this is what God has said. You're following in the steps of this brave man, Shemaiah, who stood there and said to the king, God doesn't want you to do that. Wow. But what I think is amazing is 
that the king complied. He complied. And I thought, that is really cool. You did the right thing, Rehoboam, because once you learned what God's will was, you said, okay, if God declines my plan, if he rejects my, my proposal, then I will simply go with what God says. I love that. I think that's being a submissive, obedient uh, man that says, okay, God is significant enough to me that I'm going to do it. Now, if that ever happens and you're confused about it, let's say, put yourself in the king's uh, shoes. Here he is, you know, he's just become the king and he's got a significant number of people out there. As a matter of fact, 10 tribes out of 12 said, okay, we're breaking away. And so he's only got two tribes that are loyal to him. So the 10 tribes are all in rebellion. So what are you going to do? Well, wouldn't you think it would be the right thing to do to call them into line? So it's puzzling, right? But something that was said by the man of God, I wonder if it stood out to the king. What was it that the king heard the man of God, the prophet say? For this thing is from me. Okay, he doesn't understand it, but he's saying if it's what God is expecting me to go through, then I'm going to go through it. You know, Romans 8, 28 tells every Christian that, that God can cause all things. He doesn't cause all things, but he causes all things to work together for good. So in other words, don't blame evil things that evil men or women do on him. But what God can do in his sovereign way is that he can cause all things to work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose, to those who love him. And so I just thought it was really amazing that God can do that. But the amazing thing to me is verse 29 of Romans 8. You see, Romans 8, 28, we like to hear that God causes all things to work together for good for us, right? But what's God's definition of good? It's not comfort. It's not always success. God's definition of good is found in verse 29. He says, to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, that could be more challenging. <laughs> if God says, I'm going to use my providence, my sovereignty, my control to fashion you to make you more like my son. Wow, that's a whole different idea right there, isn't it? But God is sovereign. He is sovereign. He is God over history and over each of our lives. And so we have to trust him. So if God tells me no, my first response is, okay, I will trust your sovereignty. I will trust your wisdom. But the second thing is, what can I give my energy too. If he just vetoed my plan, what can I do now? Well, let's follow Rehoboam's footsteps. If you go through verse 5, all the way down through verse 12, you'll see what he did. He dedicated himself to preparation and to protection. He said, okay, if I can't go and fight, then what I can do is strengthen. For us, it's like, okay, so God doesn't want us to have something, let's say, X that's over there. But what is it that's already in our lives? What has he already placed in our hand? Do you remember what he said to Moses in Exodus 4.2? What is that in your hand? 
And Moses says, it's just a staff. And so God says, I'm going to use that staff. What was it that Jesus said when he told the disciples to feed the multitude of over 5,000 people? Well, he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And so I think sometimes what God's wanting us to do is, have you really given yourself to best utilizing what I've already placed in your life rather than asking for something new in your life? I think sometimes we should have that same kind of dedication to say, wait a minute, can I better organize what I have? Can I strengthen and fortify what is here in my life right now rather than asking for more? You know, 2 Kings 4 verses 1 through 7 is a heart, I mean, it's a heartwarming story of this lady who is so blessed by the Lord because she was almost at the point of starvation with her family. But she calls out to Elisha. Elisha calls out to God, and God says, you tell the lady to find all the jars that she has. She only had one jar of oil. And so God says, tell her to find all the jars that are around her on her street. Go and ask neighbors to get the jars that are available to her and watch what I will do. And it was a miracle. God filled up all those jars that were already in her life. But how many of us would say, Lord, would you just open up the heavens and just drop down a few new jars that I would like? But God wants to use what we have. So are you strengthening what you already have? There were days when I served the Lord in uh, Japan that I couldn't win someone to Christ. And so what I would say is, Lord, if I can't take new ground for the kingdom of God today by winning someone else to Christ, then would you take new ground within me in my own walk with Christ? I think that that could lead to a second thing. There's a second response we could have, and that is our devotion to purity despite the pollution around us. You see, verses 13, 14, and 15 describe something very unique that took place after all of this. Now, keep in mind, Rehoboam and 183, thousand warriors from Judah were just about to go and pounce on the northern kingdom and Jeroboam and so forth. But had they done that, you know what would have happened? They would have missed something that God was about to do. There were a lot of priests and Levites that the northern kingdom leader named Jeroboam, he had fired all these priests and all these Levites because they didn't want to do things the way he wanted them to. He wanted them to compromise on scripture. He wanted them to offer up, you know, sacrifices to idols. But these men were devoted to purity. It was a polluted society and culture that was all around them. But whenever they saw that Rehoboam obeyed what God was saying to him, they were saying, you know what? I would like to be over there. I would like to be underneath that king. And so the genuine spiritual leaders that were in the northern kingdom, they migrated to the south and they thought, you know what? I want purity. And so I'm going to be with those who are going to live for purity. Are you doing that, my friend? Maybe God is saying no to you about some other great venture that you'd like to be on. But maybe God is saying, how about looking at purity in your own life? Well, let's move to another possible thing, and that is driven 
by permanent priority. You know, whenever these priests and Levites that were being tempted to compromise, who stood the course and they said, you know what, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay faithful and I'm going to stay pure. Look at the influence it had on others. Verse 16 says, and those who had set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel came after them from all the tribes of Israel to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord, the God of their fathers. You see the, do you see the impact? It's almost like dominoes, right? Because one man obeys God and says to the king, God says, no. The king says, okay, we're not going to go fight today. So 180,000 troops that were ready to go and give their lives were able to go back home to their wives and go back home to their families. But then after that happens, these priests and these Levites who had been fired for refusing to compromise, then they see up there in the south, there they are following Christ and following God and doing uh, what God wants them to do. So now these common people say, you know what? We have a priority in our lives. And what does it say, describe their, their main primary pr priority in their lives? It says, and those who had set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel came after them from all the tribes of Israel to Jerusalem to sacrifice to the Lord, the God of their fathers. Isn't that something? They had set their hearts to seek God. Would you say that that is the driving priority of your life? Would that ever change? Let's say that others around you, they start shifting and they start compromising and they move from that priority. Is that immovable for you? Or would you say, no, I can move it. I can put something else in the number one spot. They didn't. Also, I noticed that they said, you know what? We want to stand with those who are obeying God. Would you be willing to run with the world if the world says, hey, don't follow God. Don't follow Christ. Don't honor the Bible. Compromise here. Compromise there. Or would you say, no. You know what? I want to be with those who are standing with the Word of God. I want to be with that group that's obeying God. But then I noticed also their willingness to sacrifice to the Lord, the God of their fathers. They did sacrifice, didn't they? So did those priests and those Levites. Remember what it said earlier? They left their common lands and their holdings. Now these same people, these are just plain, ordinary people. They're giving up where they live. They're giving up all that they had. All they, could, all they could do is bring with them what they could pull on their backs or what they had in a wagon or something like that. Isn't that amazing? That that was such a priority to honor God that even in times when they had been reduced, everything had been reduced in their lives, all their material goods, they still said, you know what? God's a priority in my life. I'm still going to honor him. I'm still going to sacrifice for him, even though I'm having to give up so many other things. To me, I'm just thinking, wow, all of this surrounds somebody that's willing to say, you know what? If God says no, then I'm going to say, okay, God, I'll follow your no. I just found that amazing. How did they do it? Well, I like verse 17, and I think all of us need this. We all need to be discipled by pace setters. We all need somebody in our lives 
that's going to tell us the pattern. They're going to show us the pace. And so they're going to say, keep pace with me. I'm following God. Keep pace with me. I'm trying to live for God's glory. So where did they find their uh, their pace setters? Well, it's interesting. The ones that it highlights, they were already dead. It says, for they walked for three years in the way of David and Solomon. David had already gone on to be with God. Solomon had already gone on to be with God. Now they're saying, you know who we're still getting our cues from in life? We're still being influenced by the godly legacy of David and Solomon. Wow. You know, I think that's that's really important. So find godly mentors, either in scripture, find godly mentors in life, find God, godly mentors maybe from your past, who wherever you got to find them, but find the people that will give you the incentive to stay the course. Even if God says no, you stay the course and say, God, to you and to you alone, my answer will always be yes. I'll trust you. I'll trust you have a plan. I will say yes, and I will give myself to strengthening my walk with you, to strengthening all that you've already given me in my life. I will say yes to staying a man, a woman, a boy, a girl, a student devoted to purity. I will say yes to keeping you as the number one priority that drives every decision in my life. I will say yes to surrounding myself with pace setters who will help me to stay on target, stay on pace, to stay in the race and not drop out. Oh, friend, I love this chapter. I love 2 Chronicles 11. I wish I could say Rehoboam lived for the Lord like that to his very last breath, but I can't. (laughs) So he wasn't perfect, okay? But what I wanted to do was I wanted to highlight one thing he did right. He was spot on on that day. Why don't you and I say, Lord, I want to be spot on in my whole life, and I'm going to start by letting this step be a step of obedience. I'm going to start by letting this decision be a yes decision to the Lordship of Christ in my life. I'm going to start by saying this day I will live for the glory of God. Why don't we pray together and give this day to him? Lord, I never know who is listening to these podcasts. I never know what they're going through. Perhaps it's really difficult. Maybe there's a lot of spiritual and moral pollution around them. I don't know what they wanted so badly in their lives. They could taste it. And yet, for whatever reason, you've said no. Would you help them to trust you? Would you help them to stay on the course of obedience? Would you help them to say, wait a minute, Look at all that God has said yes to already in my life. He's given me so much. So help us, O Lord, just to walk with you with with open arms, to walk with you in total surrender, to walk with you in this glad obedience, this glad surrender of saying, yes, Lord, I will follow you. And when, when and if you say no, help us be willing to accept it. Just like we see in Scripture, Rehoboam, as imperfect as he was, he stood in the batter's box 
and he knocked it over the fence that day. And look at all of those that followed in his footsteps. Help us realize there are those around us that are gonna be watching how we respond to you today, this week, this season in our lives. Bless my friends who are listening. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.